Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I want to begin reading verse 22. Acts chapter 17. Beginning in verse 22. And the scripture says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, that's not Alabama by the way, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, Though he be not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of our own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius and the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. I want to talk about the true God today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise your holy name. We thank you that you are the true God, and there are no other gods besides you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, you deal with hearts today. You said of the Holy Spirit that when he has come, he will approve the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Now, Father, I pray the Holy Spirit of God would do his powerful work in hearts. God, deal with us today. Save the lost, we beg, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Athens, back in the day of the Apostle Paul, was, of course, being in Greece, a place where wisdom and man was uplifted. And on up to the Mars Hill, they had on that road idols 
of different gods that they knew about in their studies. There would have been uh, the gods that the, uh, that the Greeks worshipped. There would have been gods that the Romans worshipped. There would have been gods of people that were far off from anywhere near Greece whatsoever. But every god that they could find, they made an idol to, so that no matter who the people were that would be coming up that way, there would be some place where they could bow and worship their god. But there was a danger. What if they forgot one? They wanted to make sure that they had all the bases covered, so they made an idol to a god, and, he, and they described it this way, the unknown god. Just in case there's one that we don't know about, we want to be safe and make sure that he gets a statue just like the others. So Paul walked in, came across that sign to the unknown God after he had been looking at all these false gods. I did say false gods that were there. Say, preacher, why aren't you more open-minded? Because I follow the true God. That's why. There is only one true God, and it's the God of the Scripture. He makes it so. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And he uses an interesting term when he begins to talk to them in verse 22. He says, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Superstitious is one of those words that describes what a person is where out of fear they, they do things that don't really make any difference at all. It just shows that they're ignorant about who is in control. In baseball players, it might be if they're on a hitting streak, they don't change their socks as long as they're on a hitting streak. And that can get pretty rank after about a month, and everybody's hoping you'll stop hitting anyway. Uh, but people have a lot of things like that. Back to baseball, uh, there are some players that have a superstition not to step on a baseline when they go out to the field, and they always make sure they go across that. Some of you remember some of those silly sayings like step on a crack you break your mother's back and so some people were jumping down on cracks and others were trying to step over them depending on how popular mom was at the present time superstitions but that's how he described all these things you remember that Jesus in speaking to the woman at the well he said uh, she said our fathers worshiped at this mountain and ye say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship and Jesus answered her and he said to her, uh, your fathers worshiped, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And then he says, God is a spirit. And pardon me, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus was very plain that the one they worshiped was a false God. That the true God is described according to his truth. And you see, the Samaritans had perverted the truth of God. They had changed in their Old Testament the curse of blessing to a curse to the, I'm sorry, a mountain of blessing to a mount of cursing. And they did the same thing the other way around with the other mount. So he says, you worship, you know not what. Jesus even told the Jews who were thinking that if they did enough good works, that they followed the rules of the Pharisees, that would get them to heaven. And he tells them that when you make a proselyte, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. 
Jesus says you suffer them not to go. You yourselves aren't going in, and you suffer them not to go in. Uh, You see, there's a difference between true worship and false worship, and the main part of that has to do with who you're worshiping. And if it's not the God as described in the book, then you worship a false God. Now, we live in a day in this country. I read an article just uh, two days ago. Church attendance and membership are down in the United States since COVID. It's down. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. Most everybody in this country is religious in some form or another. But the reality is even many that go to what would be known as Christian churches don't know the true God. Because there is only one way to know him. And that's through the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Man has no fear to proclaim God made them perverted. They have no fear but to do that. Liberals have no fear but to call God she. Matter of fact, there's a group that even came up with a a genderless Bible. And they took away all references, male references, to what God says about himself and what God says about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that shows no fear of God whatsoever. God knows who and what he is, and he described himself the way he wanted to be described. And you can go ahead and you can try to pervert that, but it doesn't change who God is and the fact that one day you're going to stand before him. There are so-called ministers that have no fear to change the words of God to go with the other translations that we've been learning about in Sunday school. And people have no fear of living without God. They joke about hell, but hell is no joke. Hell is a very real place according to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it's Jesus who said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Most have their own little gods that they have made up in their own mind. As a matter of fact, there are some who would say, well, I don't believe that a loving God would send people to hell. I got a tougher one than that for you. How about a holy God that allows sinners to go to heaven? And yet he does allow sinners to go to heaven that accept his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as their savior. I see, it's amazing. Man has it all backwards. Man doesn't get it. God loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son because he doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to go to heaven. And yet there are people who think that they're going to somehow sneak into heaven and God won't notice. Therefore, they won't have to take his son. But nobody's going to be left out in this matter. You die without Jesus, you will burn in hell for eternity. But getting back to the Apostle Paul here at Mars Hill. He became burdened by the sight of all these different idols. And then he saw that sign to the unknown God. And so in his message, he wanted to inform them of who the true God really is. I want you to notice some things. First of all, in verse 24, where Paul is speaking and he says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord... Of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands. First of all, he tells us about the true God as he created heaven and earth. He created everything. By the way, that's how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
He is the creator of all things. And understand this, he needed no help from man to do it. He did not use evolution. Matter of fact, if you just read Genesis chapter 1, it's very plain. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. He created everything that is out of nothing. That's God. He's powerful enough to do all of that. He needed no architect. He called no contractor. Otherwise, it still wouldn't be done. He he consulted no blueprints. He made his own materials. And he used no machinery. And he answered to nobody about it when he was done. He created it the way he wanted it. And some people might say, well, then why is it that the soil shows different ages on carbon-14 dating. He created everything with age. I wonder how old people would have thought Adam was the day after his creation. I mean, he was a full-grown man the day after his creation. He wasn't created as a baby. He was created as a man. And God himself breathed the breath of life into him. And the Bible says about this creator, he upholdeth all things by the word of his power. What keeps it all from flying apart and just dissipating out into never, never spaces is because he is the one who holds it all together. That's God, creator of all. And as he says, and he is the Lord of heaven and earth. In other words, he's the one that everybody has to answer to. He is the master of everything. He does not answer to man. Man answers to him. Man did not create God. God created man. And you'll stand before him one day. Because that is a truth. You better pay attention. The reality is, if perchance I was wrong, it would cost me nothing. But for the person who believes that there is no God, if he's wrong, he's lost his soul for eternity and will burn in hell for eternity. And by the way, he is wrong because God is right. He's always right. He is not obligated to answer man's complaints about him. The psalmist said, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. In Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. God declares my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither your ways my ways saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Let me tell you something. Our little brains. Our little brains are just a little dot. Throughout God's universe. And God created it all just simply with the word of his power. And we think somehow we're going to stump God. We think somehow that we know so much. And I don't care how powerful the computers are that man makes. They're never going to come close to God and his wisdom and his might and his power. Been a lot of articles lately. I don't know if you've noticed it or not. On a lot of different media sites. A lot of articles about the fear of AI, artificial intelligence. Well, the reality is a lot of artificial intelligence is what men think of their own intelligence. It's just artificial. They're not near as smart as what they think they are. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, the Bible says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. God has revealed everything that we need to know about him and about his universe and how to be able to live forever with him. He's explained it all in the scripture. And puny mankind thinks somehow he knows better than God. Not only that, this God does not accept a man's ideas of worship. Go back to verse 24. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, Dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and, uh, and all things. You see, God does not accept man's ideas of worship. He's not confined to a single place. Now, you say, well, that's what I've always believed, preacher. He's not confined to one place. You can worship him out in, out in nature uh, just as much as you could in the church house. Uh, yeah, I've, I, I, well, I know on the golf course, uh, I've heard God's name used a lot, but it wasn't in worship. Do you understand? Yes, we worship God every place we go. We want to glorify his name. Every place we go, we're supposed to do that. And thank God, our worship is not confined to a building. But the Bible, the God who wrote the Bible said this. He says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. God calls for us to meet in his house, his church with his people. Now understand what I'm talking about is church. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about with God's people, however you assemble. Whether it be a group of believers who are assembling in a communist or Muslim country where they're having to assemble out in a, uh, out in a forest someplace for fear of being arrested. But they're still going to assemble because that's what God has called us to do. Bible even says, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. If you don't think God's word is important enough to meet with other believers, God says, I don't want your prayer either. Everybody wants God to answer their prayer, get mad at God when he doesn't seem to answer their prayer. They just don't get it. You got to understand, God does not accept man's ideas of worship. He accepts his ideas as given in the scripture. There was a song several years ago by a country artist by the name of Tom T. Hall. Tom T. Hall was a very personable country music artist. As a matter of fact, back when I was a country western disc jockey, he came to Otsego, Michigan at the high school gym. Matter of fact, of all the different country artists that I did emceed shows for uh, back in those days, and uh, he was probably one of the most personable of all of them. I remember him waiting around for over two hours after the concert that he gave, just shaking hands, taking pictures with anybody who wanted a picture taken. But he did a song called Me and Jesus Got a Good Thing Going. Me and Jesus, a lot of people feel like that. Feel like me and Jesus, we got an understanding. Well, if you're thinking that you got a good thing going because it feels good to you, you've got nothing going with him. Because you have to have it going according to his word. First of all, you have to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
You must know him. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Someone objects and says, I don't like that. Well, tough. That's just the way it is. God doesn't give in to the woke crowd. God doesn't give in to the liberal crowd. God doesn't give in to the fundamentalist crowd either. God says, here's the way it is, and that's the way it is, period. God didn't take a vote. God set up things right. How do you know that? He's God. That's how I know that. Thank God he's the one that provided salvation so we could have eternal life. In the scripture, he did not accept the worship of Jeroboam, the first king of the northern ten tribes of the divided kingdom. You see, Jeroboam decided he'd set up his own altar when he divided the country. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, was left in charge of Judah. Jeroboam had the northern ten tribes. So he made his own altar because he feared his people going down to Jerusalem to worship at the temple that one day they would want to return back to put all of Israel together again. And so he created his own altar, created his own priesthood. He threw the Levites out that were in the northern kingdom, and he made the lowest of the people the priest. And so God sent a prophet up to Jeroboam to pronounce a judgment against that false altar. We need to understand this. God doesn't accept worship just because you're wanting to worship your way. It has to be his way. He did not accept the worship of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day. As a matter of fact, Jesus said of the Pharisees in his day, you're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Imagine these religious people. Jesus called them devils. You wonder why they, and the son of the devil, do you realize why they wanted to put him to death? He simply told the truth about him. And he told them that they worshipped in vain several times in the passages. By the way, he does not accept the prayers of those in sin. In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, he says, uh, a matter of fact, let's just go ahead and turn there. I'm quoting an awful lot of scripture, and you need to see that I'm not just making things up. All right, over in Isaiah chapter 59. Notice verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Hear, hear me. You see, if you regard iniquity in your heart, if you're living contrary to his word, you can get down and pray all you want to pray until it's a prayer of getting right with God. You're just speaking to the air. And God doesn't hear. That's according to his own word. For those who want God to think their way, understand he doesn't. While you're turning to scripture, go over to Psalm 2. What a powerful psalm this is. Psalm 2, you notice the question is asked, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. All right, that's how man acts toward God. How does he respond? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Man may not like it, but that's just the way it is. And man may shake his his fist at God, but God simply laughs in derision. As Brother Bohr said many times, when you get vexed by the head vexer, you're in trouble. You see, God sits in the heavens and laughs. Can you imagine puny man raising up his eyes toward God and shaking his fist and cursing God? Now that's the height of pride and stupidity. And God laughs at it. I have a little brother. Well, not little anymore. I mean, obviously, he's been adult for a long time. But he was, I believe, he's 11 years younger than I am. I think that's right. But when he was just a little kid, and of course, being a brother, I kind of delighted in getting him angry. It's part of being a brother, isn't it? That's what happens. And he'd get so mad, and I'd just put my hand on top of his head and watch him swinging and flailing away, and I'd just laugh. He couldn't do anything. Well, you say, preacher, that's kind of a ridiculous picture. I know, and you're admitting to being really mean. Well, yeah, I was a kid. God's not mean. I'm going to tell you something, though. He's not shaken by the fact you don't like him. He's not shaken. By any words that are said by you, don't intimidate God. The picture is so foolish for a man to shake his fist toward God and be mad at him. Thank God he is a holy and righteous God, but he is also a God of love. So first Paul tells them the true God is Lord of all. Then he tells them he does not accept man's ideas of worship. And he lets us know in verses 26 through 31 that man is required to seek God. Notice verse 27. Notice in verse 27 that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. I don't have to travel to heaven to speak to God. I can't speak to him right here. He's not far from any one of us. There might be things that be in the way between him and I, but the quick answer to that is getting right with God. Getting to the place where you would agree with God. Thank God for this truth. The Bible says these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Hallelujah. These things were written so we could have eternal life and know that we have eternal life. What a tremendous promise. He's not only, he not only can be found, but he's not far from any one of us. And that man is required to seek him. 
Now, God's already done everything that needs to be done for our salvation. Remember, the Bible says of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 1 that Jesus came into the world, that he is the light of the world, and he lighteth every man that cometh into the world. In other words, it also says in John chapter 12, Jesus is speaking. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Now, God not only paid our sin debt at Calvary when he died for our sins, was buried, and rose three days later from the dead, but he has given man a light to show who he is. That light is the scripture, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But he has also drawn us, or drawn us toward him by the giving of his word, as well as the testimony of creation itself and the testimony of man's conscience. So God has already done so much. He's paid your sin debt. If he hadn't have done that, we'd have no hope of heaven. Thank God his son rose from the dead. And he says something about that in verse 31. We'll say a little bit more about it in just a moment. God has already sought us. He has already made a way for us. What a mighty and powerful God this is. So man is required to seek him. Where? Well, you need to do it in the scripture. He is not found in religious objects or objects of this world. Have you, ever, have you ever seen some of these people? They'll, uh, they'll have a, a necklace on, male or female, doesn't make any difference, male or female, and they'll have a cross on the necklace in front of a Budweiser shirt. What are they thinking? What are they possibly thinking? While foul words come out of their mouth, they think somehow that that little metal cross is going to take care of it. I'm reminded of a story one missionary told about going to one of those Catholic parades down in Mexico. And, of course, as as one of those special days that they have in those Catholic lands. And, uh, And there were vendors along the side. And one man was crying out, crosses, crosses, get your cheap crosses right here. And that's all they are, they're cheap crosses. The preaching of the cross is the power of God unto salvation. But the cross is his cross at Calvary, not some little trinket made by the hands of man. That stuff doesn't do anybody any good. He's not found in religious objects or objects of the world. No, I'm not swayed about anything from the Shroud of Turin. I'm reminded of one uh, visitors to uh, over in uh, over in Italy. They were visiting one place, and the, the the priest that was over that place said, "Over here, we have the head of John the Baptist." And so uh, that was interesting to him. But he went to another place, and there's another priest said that they had the head of John the Baptist. And he asked about. It. He says, how, "How can you both have the head of John the Baptist?" He said, "Well, this was when he was a child." Boy, people can be so simple-minded, can't they? Well, how are you going to find it? Well, notice. Notice verses 30 and 31. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now, please notice the terms. Commandeth all men. How many men do you think that is? That's all of them. 
everywhere. In other words, it's not just men in the United States. It's not just man in Canada or in North and South America. It's all men everywhere. And by the way, it said he commanded. This is not a suggestion. The God who is creator of all, he commands that all men everywhere do what? Repent. Well, what's the problem with man? Man fixes his own way of worship. Man decides which God he wants to worship. And God says, repent. Matter of fact, over in chapter 20 and verse 21, Paul said that his preaching was repentance both to the Jew and to the Gentile, repentance toward God. Notice, repentance. Turn from all these idols. Turn from trusting yourself. And turn and trust the God of the Bible and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he goes on to say in verse 31. Because that he, that's God, hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in what? Righteousness. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he will judge the world in fairness. He judges the world in righteousness. Righteousness. We're talking about now the righteousness of God. This is pure righteousness. You see, if it's in fairness, well, fairness is in the eyes of the beholder. But righteousness is only in the eyes of God. He will judge the world in righteousness. Notice by who? By that man whom he hath ordained. Who is that? That's Jesus. Now, how do I know that's going to happen? Whereof, he says, he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. How do I know judgment day is coming? The tomb is empty. That's how I know. Jesus rose from the dead. He lives today. That is God's proof that judgment is coming. It's also God's proof that through the death burial, of his, uh, death, burial, and resurrection of his son is the only way that you can have eternal life. This is absolutely essential. There's no other way to heaven than through Jesus. You see, that's the difference between being saved and lost. As a matter of fact, when the apostle Paul preached this message, notice what he goes on to say. In verse 32, and when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we'll hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and what? Man, that's the key right there. You know, here's the great apostle Paul. He's preaching. And when he's done preaching, some people are mocking him. But some believed. Some, they didn't mock him. They put it off. Still lost, still on their way to hell. But those who believe got eternal life. How do you know that? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt 
be saved. What a marvelous promise. Now, here's Paul speaking to a great host of people who believed in any number of gods, in any number of things about God, and they were wrong about it all. Now, you look at this and you say, this is hopeless. How in the world with a crowd like that, you got to admit, that would take some real courage to stand before a big crowd of people where none of them know your God. None of them know the true God. And he's told them, you're superstitious. Let me tell you about the true God. Now, he didn't have a lot saved there on Mars Hill, but thank God he did have some. Was it worth it? I guarantee you to those some, it was worth it. Because the God he presented is the true God. First of all, you need to know him. And the only way you can know him is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Since he is the true God, you should want to live for him. You spend all your time living for a God you've made up in your own mind or one of the false, many false gods that this world has to offer. You have thrown your life away and will end up in hell for eternity. And it's so unnecessary. doesn't have to be that way. And here's the thing. Since he is the true God and if you've trusted him, you ought to want to live for him. As a matter of fact, Paul seemed to be a little incredulous toward people in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 when he said, Now I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, when my wife and I got saved, we did not come from, from Christian homes. And uh, matter of fact, our families had nothing to do with God. Thank God we got to see a few of them saved after we got saved. But, you know, we got saved and we started going to church. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, started serving in the bus ministry, going out and knocking on doors, stuff like that. And really, our families thought we had lost our mind. They've gone crazy. And then they said, well, you, you, let's watch them for a while because they'll probably get over it. Well, we still haven't gotten over it. And according to the scripture, that's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, what I got was real. The salvation I have is real. The fellowship I have with the God of heaven through Jesus Christ, it is real. It provides meaning and purpose for life as well as an eternity with him, hallelujah. And every person can have it. It's free. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, deal with hearts today. You know every individual here. You know who has taken Christ as Savior, and you know who hasn't. For those that are lost and undone, I pray you'd show them that you put your son on the cross for them. You want to save them. But if they don't come to you, it is to die lost for eternity. Father, please deal with hearts today. And for those who have taken Christ as Savior, 
may they see the importance of knowing the true God and living for him. Have your way in every life, I pleaded in Jesus' name.